We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. a Wednesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. It is May 3rd. We are uh, still in the early stages of round two, Alex. We had two big games on Tuesday night uh, in the early window. We had game two between the Heat and the Knicks. The Knicks take that one 111-105. In the late window, the Lakers take game one out in Golden State, 117-112. You and I were, were actually together in Madison last night. We had the annual steak dinner for the Rotowire Steak League, which we have referenced and in most cases complained about a number of times over the season. Uh, that was the league in which I bought Kawhi Leonard and basically sealed my fate on draft night. But uh, nice too to kind of finally put a bow uh, on this fantasy basketball season. It was. Um, yeah, I mean, this was, this was, I think, a season where it felt like, you know, the issues that we had felt in terms of, um, players resting, constant injuries. How do we set up a league? Should we do daily lineups? Do we do weekly lineups? How big should the starters versus the bench be? It felt like all of that kind of came to a head this year um, with so many people who are at the bottom of the standings, even the middle of the standings, um, yourself included. It's just like, like, what are you supposed to do if you even spend uh, up a little bit on some of these guys? Yeah, we were talking to some of the Rotowire guys last night, and you know th- there were a few, I-, I think, exasperated members of this league who yes. said, look, I- I'm out next year. I'm, I'm just playing best ball. And I, I totally get that, I-, I think, after how this season went. Uh, I-, I think you know, best ball is getting more popular no matter what, but I, I think you know, that the frustrations that we saw across fantasy basketball, especially in weekly leagues this season, are going to push more and more people toward that. Um Sorry, I'm distracted for a second. I'm, I somehow got on Samuel Dalabair's basketball reference page when I was just trying to bring up uh, like the, the score from last night's Lakers-Warriors game. But uh, anyway, <laughs> the, the yeah the top 10 finishers in fantasy basketball this year, we're looking at total value, eight category. Uh, you can find this. We have it all 
broke it down really nicely and cleanly on rotowire.com. It's on our ratings page. In order, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, SGA, Jason Tatum, DeMontis Sabonis, Luka Doncic, Anthony Edwards, Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young, Damian Lillard. Uh, so factoring in games played, those are your top 10 eight-category players this season. Yeah, I mean, it. Uh, yeah, obviously those are all great players, but it just those are not – like the per, the difference between per game and total is, is I think, bigger than ever. Um, and it's different when you're in a, like, uh, traditional draft, like round-by-round round, serpentine style versus uh, an auction league or salary cap league. And, um, like next year, it's just, I think in salary cap leagues, the move seriously is just like, do not spend up for anybody. That's like a first option that would essentially like cripple your team. If they got hurt, like, it's just better to build a balanced roster and -hmm. play some waiver wire games only when you have to. So in general, I agree with that. And that's the strategy that I I would typically take in a league like this. But, uh, our, our guy, Tim Schuler, who won the league, you know, he went with a, a pretty extreme stars and scrubs approach. And, and he hit on, on some of the guys who you know, we, we thought would be quote unquote scrubs. Like for example, having KJ Martin who played almost every game right. was playing like 30 minutes a game, giving you just like 13, five and two every single night uh, you know, shot almost 57% from the field, like little pieces like that, you know, over the course of the year certainly help. Uh, he had Mike Conley, he had Kevin Porter, who I was just staying so far away from. Uh, he actually turned in a pretty decent fantasy year, but I mean, Tim had three of the biggest buys of the entire salary cap draft, which were KD, Anthony Davis, and Joel Embiid. All of those guys ended up missing significant time, especially KD and AD, and he still won the league. Yeah, I, I'd i be interested to know. It's in there somewhere if you dig deep enough, but um, I think I think being really aggressive on like week one or week two of the waiver wire can help you if you do a stars and scrubs approach. I think you just have to be more aggressive if that's the if that's the case. Um, especially like post trade deadline, like those are the two biggest waiver wire periods of the entire season, basically after week one and after the deadline. And so, if you go with the right. stars and scrubs approach, um, those are really important weeks to hit, and that I mean that that can help you then. Well, I, I think it's also important to denote that if you're going stars and scrubs, like you have to make sure that your stars are capital S stars, you know, you you can't be getting like three guys who rank at the twenties. Like he, you know, Tim had three of the top seven players in per game value. So even though Davis played 56 games, KD played 47 games and Bede played 66 games. I mean, when those guys were on the court, you're you're getting three of the seven best players in all of fantasy basketball. So in a roundabout way, it's like, it it felt like those guys missed so much time, but it didn't really matter because they were so dominant when healthy. Yeah. That's some of it too. Um, you know, I mean, there there are plenty of different ways to build. I mean, that's I mean, this is what I love about auction leagues. It's like you can you can build a team however you want, however you think you're going to win. Yeah. Um, stay really active on the waiver wire, or if you don't want to play the waiver wire game as much, try to build a balanced team. It it kind of depends on um your preferred style, but clearly both both ways uh both ways can work. Uh, all right, last question before we get to the playoff series. If you're doing a draft right now, or you know, we, we don't really expect you know a ton to change context-wise between now and, and August and September when we really start firing up drafts, is Nikola Jokic still the the easy one-one for you? Uh, I think he is. Yeah, yeah. It's just I, I think mean, so too. The durability, always healthy. Yeah, durability, efficiency. Um, they don't rest him ever, uh, and you know the team is going to be good, so you don't have to worry about um, you don't have to worry about any of that. 
Yeah, I mean, he played 69 games, which for him is pretty low. Uh, that's a that's a career low, in fact. And, you know, they, they had that, that calf injury at the end of the year. I never really could tell how real that was. I think if they if they didn't have the number one seed locked up, I think he probably plays closer to 75 games. And, you know, we're, we're just having that that crazy, uh, you know, Ironman conversation yet again. But pretty amazing that he finishes as the number one player despite taking three fewer field goal attempts per game this season. Like his scoring went down in a year when everybody else felt like, you know, they boosted their scoring by five to 10%. Jokic's counting stats actually got worse. I mean, he, he went down in terms of rebounds, in terms of points, in terms of blocks and steals. The assists were up slightly, uh, but but he's just so solid all around. So solid, so efficient. And, you know, another thing, if you're drafting a number one, you don't have to worry about like, um, like deficiencies. Like if you draft Giannis, you worry about, you know, free throw percentage, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like it's, it's not really an issue with Jokic. You're not, you're not, you're not locking yourself into some sort of team build by drafting Jokic number one. Yeah. He's, he's the easy one, one for me. I think it's actually more interesting to, to debate who goes number two. You know, it's like with, I, I think Embiid is probably the guy value wise who makes sense, but I, I just, you know, I, I just never trust the health. I don't think that's going to get any better as he ages. You know, I think Kevin Durant is in that basket at this point. It's like, it wouldn't be crazy to take SGA number two overall. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, he finished number four overall this year in terms of per game value in eight cat. So, um, and that was only, I mean, that was only behind Embiid and Durant who both obviously have durability right. issues. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I, I think you, you brought up an interesting point last night when we were kind of talking about this and like how the rest of the playoffs are going to influence. I think it was in the context of, you know, MVP odds for next year, which are going to be really interesting. I, I think, you know, Doncic is not going to open up as the favorite yet again after how this season went, but it's like if let's say the Lakers, you know, beat the Warriors in five or six games, they go to the finals. Uh, all of a sudden, it, it kind of feels like Anthony Davis is like back in the mix as like is he a top ten guy in the league? And you know, it, there's always going to be the injury questions with him, but we got to remember like when he's healthy. I mean, he was the number one player per game for a lot of this season. At this point, well, if you're talking, yeah, if you're if you're talking fantasy, I mean, yeah, I think he'll he'll climb back up uh, people's yeah. in people's good graces a little bit again. Um, not so much an MVP, but I mean, the way he's playing defensively in these playoffs are I mean, pretty amazing. Um, so maybe, you know, he, he, I think he'll be a little higher up, like defensive player of the year mm-hmm. odds than he was to start this year, for example. Yeah. Let's go right to that, that late game last night. That was certainly the highlight, uh, Lakers warriors. I, I was thinking, you know, during my, my drive home, I had the game going, uh, listening on the radio, I was catching some highlights here and there, you know, at, at stoplights, things of that nature. And, you know, Davis just had a, a massive, massive game. It was awesome again on defense. I think he had four of the Lakers, 10 blocks as a team. 23 rebounds, 30 points, uh, five assists as well. I mean, this was, I, I would say, arguably Anthony Davis's best two-way game in a Lakers uniform. I mean, he was that dominant, exactly the game they needed from him. And I, I was kind of thinking, like, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Anthony Davis versus Giannis versus Embiid, uh, I mean, like, Towns was in the conversation at that point. Like, he was firmly in the mix of, like, you know, this could be this guy's league, you know, for the next five to 10 years. And it is kind of wild how, how quickly he fell out of that conversation. You know, not only did he continue to get hurt, but it felt like Embiid went up a level. Giannis went up like two levels uh, and they kind of left him behind, but it, it does feel like these playoffs have been a reminder that like AD is, is in that category when he's healthy. He is. I think some of the confusion was like, is AD a four or a five? And I, you know, offensively, I just don't think he's the the kind of guy who's aggressive enough to like, he just ended up not, I, I don't think he, like he he needed to turn himself more into like Giannis or more into like a post uh, bruiser guy, and he kind of didn't either. Um, at least yeah. offensively, 
but yeah, he's so versatile on defense. Um, you're seeing it in these playoffs. And um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, he's playing at the five, obviously for the Lakers now. And they, you know, before it was like, okay, we'll play him at the four. This isn't just with the Lakers. This is throughout his career. Um, we'll play him at the four and then we'll have some like bigger five next to him, like Omer Ashik or uh, DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> but now I actually think, I actually think this makes more sense where they have him at the five and then they have like kind of that, uh, like the hustle defense guy at the four and Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah, Omar Ashik, man. I I think didn't he have like Crohn's disease or something? And yet I there there was I some think so. sort of uh something like that. Yeah. Um has not played since 2018. The NBA regular season has come and gone, which means it's time for a new way to play daily fantasy basketball for the playoffs. Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played. And they brought three new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. With unique games like Fantasy Bingo, head-to-head player challenges, and over-unders in Fantasy Book, Daily Fantasy has never been better. Right now, Rotowire listeners can get a $50 protected first play. That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash signup. Again, that's play.rivalfantasy.com slash signup and use our code ROTOWIREMBA, all one word, ROTOWIREMBA. Use that at sign up and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival protected up to $50. Now's the time to step onto the court and become a Rival today. Welcome to the arena. I I thought the Lakers defensively were were pretty masterful last night. Despite, I mean, Golden State, obviously the plan when you play the Warriors is, hey, don't let... Curry and Thompson beat you. And those guys, you know, had what, six three-pointers a piece? Like the threes were falling for the Warriors all night, really. I mean, they're 21 of 53, just a shade under 40% as a team. Getting Jordan Poole back involved in this game. And, you know, obviously everybody's clowning him for taking that last shot. Uh, we could debate the merits of that. But I think if you came in and told the Warriors, hey, after the series he just had against Sacramento, he's going to give you 21 points and six threes in game one. And you're also going to get 12 threes from Clay Thompson and Steph Curry you would think, okay, we're probably winning this game by 15. So I, a huge, huge win for the Lakers. I, I'm not I'm not panicking yet if I'm Golden State. I, I would still pick them to win this series. I think it's going to be really close. But uh, to lose a game where you hit 21 threes as a team is is a little alarming. It is. Um, you know, I, again, Looney was great on the offensive boards, but um, or just on the boards in general. But so was Anthony Davis. You know, they almost like canceled each other out on that end. And, um, you know, Looney and Draymond weren't able to stop AD in the way that they were able to stop Sabonis. Um, and, you know, we touched on this on the uh, on the fantasy show earlier today on XM. The, the free throw disparity between these two teams, and part of that's just how they play. You know, the Warriors jack up threes, the Lakers want to want bruise inside. Um, but the fact that, you know, the, the, the free throw differential is the Lakers are 25 of 29, and the Warriors are five of six. Um, that crazy. That, I mean, that's that basically makes up for the um, the three pointers. It, it wasn't one of those games where you felt like, oh man, Golden State's just not getting the whistle. You know, it was that they they legitimately drew like three shooting fouls the whole game. Like that's that's what it felt like. You know, one of them was a Jordan Poole. Like he banked in and and won three. Uh, they just they. It wasn't that they weren't attacking, but I think the Lakers did just a, such a good job of smothering any attack. I mean, Steph Curry got blocked a couple times late in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, he would get past Vanderbilt, and then there's Anthony Davis, there's LeBron coming from the weak side. I, I think LeBron, 
I, you know, I, he's been up and down, I think, as an on-ball defender in these playoffs, but he is been dominant as a help defender. And so is Vanderbilt, yeah. and, and of course, so have Davis. Like, they just have anytime somebody catches the ball within five feet. I mean, there's three guys that are stretching out trying to block that thing. Uh, I, I thought Vanderbilt was fantastic on Curry. I, I, I wondered if he was maybe a, a little too big, I guess, you know, to, to kind of be snaky through yeah. all these screens. But I think the length, you know, really, really bothered Steph, even though Curry ended up having a decent game. Um, you know, I, I think he'll take six of 13 from Steph at home in a spot like this. He had five turnovers, got a little little messy late, and I think Vanderbilt was a big part of that. Uh, Dennis Schroeder gave the Lakers a really nice game. You can't always count on that. But, man, I, I think I, I'm, I'm really surprised. You, know, you and I talked about this uh, previewing it on, on the XMNBA show last night. I, I was all over the Warriors. I, I really thought they would they had kind of solved something in that round one series against the Kings. I thought they would carry over that momentum. I, I thought we'd see the Lakers get off to a slow start, which they did, by the way. This was like it was like a 13 to two game early yeah. on. The Lakers had their classic cold start. Uh, I, I'm really surprised. I mean, LA, I, I wouldn't say they dominated this game, but I mean, they were up 14 points midway through the fourth before Golden State went on that late run. Right. Yes. Uh, aside from the the sort of early jump start of Golden State, which isn't that surprising that that they came out and kind of blitzed early. Um, it felt like LA was relatively in control of this game, or at least you know they weren't losing control of it until Golden State made a run late, obviously. But um, yeah, the Lakers. It's just it's funny because they they're able to sort of morph the dynamic of their team in a way that I'm kind of surprised. Like you know, AD was in round one had some pretty bad games. Was having like trouble with Xavier Tillman. Um, yep. It was just like a huge Austin Reeves series. And then in game one of this series, AD's amazing as one of his best playoff performances of all time. Um, and then, uh, like, Austin Reeves is practically invisible on offense, right? It's a lot more D'Lo. It's a lot more, yep. you know, Schroeder had some stuff going. Hachimura didn't, like, do anything at all in this game. So the Lakers' sort of versatility and able to – the fact that they're kind of able to morph a little bit on offense based on who they're playing is actually really impressive. Like, I wasn't quite expecting it, mm-hmm. even though I liked what they did at the deadline. Yeah, and you mentioned the free throws. I mean, not only did they take 29, but they hit 25 of them. I mean, AD, 8 of 8 at the line. Dennis Schroeder, 9 of 10. LeBron, even 3 of 4. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, 3 of 4. You know, both of those guys aren't great shooters. So uh, yeah, we'll see how how sustainable that is. I mean, obviously, Dennis Schroeder is again to the line 10 times every game in this series. Right. But I think another another somewhat concerning thing for, for the Warriors is this was not a great LeBron game by any means. I think he was just fine. Uh, 9 of 24 from the field, 1 of 8. From three, uh, the three-point shooting continues to be just a complete disaster for LeBron in these playoffs. I think he's what like nine of forty-nine, and I, I don't know. I've, I've looked this up too many times. I can't keep doing right. it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like D'Angelo Russell played well, but you know he's he's one of five from three. Uh, you know, Lakers were six of twenty-five from downtown in this game. So you know the Warriors probably regressed a little bit as, as great of a three-point shooting team as they are. They're not they're not going to average twenty-one makes from three in this series and. You know, this kind of felt like rock bottom for the Lakers shooting. Not that LeBron is going to suddenly come back to to forty percent, but you can't count on the Lakers going six of twenty five every night. You almost you almost have to talk about the Lakers shooting numbers from three, and then just like delete LeBron's uh, shooting yeah. from it uh, when you're talking about it because he's he's, just, he's addicted he, to taking these threes. I don't understand it. He is, but I I do think he was better at cutting off of those. Like a lot of times, I brought this to you up on the show. Like in the regular season, he's standing out on the wing. He's kind of by himself. The ball swings to him and he either takes that three or for some reason he like waits for the defender to come over and then like tries to pump fake jab step. And then I kind of, I, you lose the advantage. 
I thought he did a really good job of cutting into that open space, getting the ball, and then either finishing at the basket. I and mean, he was he made some really strong plays at the basket. Like there yeah. was yeah, this is this one wasn't off of a cut, but he posted up clay and went with one of the like most bully ball post LeBron moves I've ever seen on him when we up with yep. like the left hand. So I thought he was good at that. And if he keeps doing that in this series, um I think they'll be really good. And you mentioned it. It wasn't a dominant LeBron game, but he felt like he understood what was happening on both sides of the ball and that um, he was really affecting the game. Yeah, it it does feel like this is a little bit anecdotal, but he he doesn't love posting up, you know, getting that physical unless he has to. And it feels like the the deeper we get into the playoffs historically, that's when LeBron will start pulling that out. And yeah, you're right. I, I know exactly the play you're talking about where he just went right around Clay for a layup. There's still there's still something just a little off with LeBron. Like late in the game, you know, I think there's like two or three minutes left, and you know he gets a like a long carom on the rebound. It basically has like a one on one fast break situation and ends up traveling. You know, and it's uh, like we saw that a couple times against Memphis too, where he would just like fall down on a fast break, or it looked like he would have a layup, then he'd pass out at the last second. Like there, there's still something that's just like a little bit off with his timing. Yeah, it's it's hard with LeBron because he never looks like he's playing hurt. Like he's never limping around. Right. Uh, he's never like grabbing at the foot or anything like that. He it's just those moments you see where it it's it's something you wouldn't expect. It's like a small kind of blip. Yeah, yeah. Very clean game by the way. Only eight turnovers for both teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lakers had six in the first half. Only two turnovers uh, in the second. You know, one of those being that that late LeBron travel. So really, really fun game to watch. That's for sure. Uh, we we look forward to. Game two of that series from San Francisco tomorrow night. That'll be a 9 p.m. Eastern tip-off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Uh, let's go to the other game yesterday. Uh, we, we didn't get to catch this one live because we, of course, were, were in the bunker at the steak dinner, but we get the Knicks winning this one, 111-105. No Jimmy Butler for Miami. Uh, basically turned this into a must win for the Knicks, but even with Randall back, even with Jalen Brunson playing, he was questionable coming in. Uh, got a great game, uh, really, out of both of those guys. This was still, <laughs> I, I felt like, much closer than it should have been. Well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, Knicks were 10, 11-point favorites, basically. 
at home, which is understandable, um, you know, because the the Heat are pulling out a lineup of like Adebayo, Kevin Love, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, and Max Struess. And, um, you know, I just, <laughs> again, I didn't feel like Adebayo took over in the way I thought he might or the way I would hope. It just ended up being like there was just a lot of Gabe Vincent threes, a lot of Max Struess. I actually thought Max Struess was excellent getting to the rim in this game, um, driving to the bucket, which was kind of bizarre. But they, you know, Spolstra knows, like, if if Jimmy's not the game, our our hope on offense, we just have to get threes up. We have to drop a bunch of plays to get open threes. We have to take semi-contested threes. We cannot be, like, searching around for the best possible shot because we just don't have those kind of playmakers out there. So we got to just set ourselves up and get open threes up. And, um, d- you know, defensively, I mean, a lot of these guys are on the heat in the first place and are in the rotation because they try on defense and, and are good at that end of the floor. Yeah, I mean, the Heat got up 49 threes in this game. You're, you're spot on about that. I think this was a strategy even dating back to the Bucks series after they lost Tyler Hero. I think they needed to find advantages. And, uh, you know, the Knicks took 40 threes. They hit 16 of them. So there, it didn't really end up being that big of an edge uh, for, for the Miami Heat. But I think given the circumstances, I mean, you got to feel pretty encouraged about how they played. You'd like to see a little bit more out of Bam. I mean, taking 10 shots in 38 minutes as essentially the de facto number one option, I, I think is pretty disappointing. Uh, but, you know, we saw aggressive Caleb Martin, aggressive Gabe Vincent, took 12 threes. Uh, Max Drews, like you said, played well. Uh, you know, one thing on the other side, Emmanuel Quickly, who was so good for the Knicks down the stretch, uh, was not great in round one, played only nine minutes off the bench in this game. Yeah, he's just, he, I, I kind of forgot he existed, to be honest with you, when I <laughs> when I went back and watched this game. He wasn't out there for very long. Um, but he's just, he's not, his problem is he's not a great three-point shooter. You know, he provides great defense, obviously. He's, he's uh, as, his, as his name would imply, he's very quick. Um, but the the Heat are doing, they're very intentionally trying to get the ball out of Brunson's hands and put it in the hands of guys who are not great playmakers and who are not great three-point shooters. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought Barrett was good again. You know, Barrett kind of has to be that guy when they're forcing the ball out of Brunson's hands. Uh, Randall was kind of hit or miss. Um, but yeah, quickly just, not has not been a factor in these playoffs. I hate to say it. No, no, he hasn't. Um, you know, he would have got my six man of the year vote, but uh, has looked a little overwhelmed so far. Nick's bench didn't really give them anything in this game. Quentin Grimes played 26 minutes, took only three shots. Uh, if, if you look at the series line right now, Miami's still favored to win the, the series, they're minus 115. Uh, both teams are in minus territory, though. That, that's when you know it's close. Knicks are minus 105. Did you have any sort of lean here? I mean, w- without really knowing the status of Jimmy Butler. Well, I, I mean, I will say when the 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 Knicks were uh, plus money yesterday before this game, like plus one fifteen or plus one hundred five or something yeah. like that. And if you had made me then uh, take the line, I I would have taken Knicks. I was actually kind of surprised they were um, they were underdogs despite lo- uh, despite losing game one. Um, yeah, I mean, I the Knicks are I, the Knicks obviously have more talent. I I don't think that's a question, but what Spolstra continues to prove as a coach and what so many of these guys on the, on the heat continue to prove uh, as players who can kind of change their roles and step up when needed. It's just hard to bet against Miami as much. Like it, I don't think they're the better team. And again, I I would, I would favor New York to win this series, but I just don't want to bet against this team. I don't want to bet against Spolstra. This sounds a little counterintuitive, but I, I feel worse about the Knicks after last night's game that they won 
You know, it's like I, I, they had they won that game by 20 like they should have, you know, then I'd be like, all right, all right, maybe the Knicks are, are, are back here. But the fact that this was still very much in the balance late into the fourth quarter um, with this ragtag yeah. Heat team, I, I think says a lot. I mean, the Knicks are they, they kind of played down to their competition. Like they did not play well in game one. Cleveland was just so bad. So, so bad. I think they got out coached there. And um, I, I don't know if the coaching difference is, is that huge between Tibbs and, uh, and Spo, but I mean, Spolster has just put on a master class. So far, I don't think there are many coaches who could get this far, even even emerge from round one, uh, given the opponent they were facing uh, with all the injuries that they've had. Uh, but you know, going back to Miami, uh, long break now. Game three is not until Saturday. I would be shocked if we don't see Jimmy Butler back for that one. Same here. I think uh, it seemed like he, if he absolutely needed to, maybe could have played in game two here. And that. The, uh, the medical staff just kind of advised him not to, or since they stole game one, um, that they that they you know were were comfortable sitting him. But you're you're right about um, you're right about the Knicks winning this game and me kind of feeling worse about them because they had Randall in this game. In game one, they didn't have Randall, so you're like, well, you know, you can understand losing that one, but you get Randall back in this game, and you still like it's not decisive, like you said, until the very end of this game, the Knicks pulled away, and I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really feel like they pulled away in a like convincing way, either. It was no. a lot of like good shot making down the stretch, and and that was that. Um, so I, I actually have not checked the line. I mean, Miami has to be favored in this in this home well, game. Well, right? that's a great question. I was just going to ask you what what's your prediction. I, I do have a line for Saturday. Uh, I would I would guess like minus three. There we go. Right on the dot. Heat minus three. Oh, wow. Total 208 and a half. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah. the total makes sense. They're hovering around that. But yeah, I mean, Heat, I I, I, I would expect them to win game three. I don't know. It's weird because I, again, I kind of think the Knicks should win the series, but I I anticipate the Heat going up uh, 2-1. I think the Heat are winning the series. I do. I, I, I've, I've been pretty convinced these last two games. I, I, I do think... I. I I think they feel like, all right, we got past Milwaukee and you know, we don't, I, I don't think they have anywhere near as much respect for the Knicks as they do the Bucks. And I, I think if Jimmy Butler plays last night, they're probably up 2-0 and it feels like this series is, is halfway to being over already. Um, we get Sixers Celtics tonight. Uh, we, we won't go like super, super deep on this game just because, you know, it tips off in, in like four and a half hours, but uh, Embiid officially the MVP, no surprise there. Uh, he, it, it sounds like I, I couldn't find an actual video of this, but it sounds like he privately told teammates that he's back uh, as in he's playing in game right. two after the, the MVP announcement. I, I don't know if that's the greatest idea. I mean, it, it didn't really seem two days ago, like he was overly close to playing in game one. Uh, very, very risky here, but I, I, I do see both sides. I, I think it's, it's easy for us as fans or analysts to be like, Oh, you, you got the one you need, like just punt game two. Like, I don't know. Like if, if if it's the team I'm rooting for, I would if you have if you have any chance to go up 2-0, I, I think you have to try to seize that. Yeah, you mentioned there was a report from Shams um told Sixers teammates I'm back, set to return from LCL sprain tonight's game too. So um I'm gonna assume he's in. Um yeah, what, I what mean, he played I, if I, he didn't win MVP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, we can't give everybody voters remorse. I have to be out there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, um, you know, he, uh, it's, you have conflicting feelings about this because on one hand you could go like the heat route. You could say, well, we stole one, so let's rest him. Um, but the 76ers might be thinking the opposite way. Like there are some teams that are going to be like, well, we stole one. 
let's put Embiid out there and try to go up 2-0 on the Celtics. And then we go back home up 2-0. Um, which I also get that mentality. The difference is that like Jimmy Butler sprained his ankle and Joel Embiid has a grade two LCL sprain in his knee. Right. Like they're very, they're very different injuries in terms of like severity and style. Exactly. Exactly right. And you know, we're talking about a you know six foot seven wing and a seven foot two, you know, three hundred pound big man. So I, I see it from both sides. I mean, the the line right now, as we record mid afternoon, is still excuse me, still hanging around Celtics seven and a half, Celtics eight. To me, that implies that there's still some unknown with Embiid. I think if Embiid is ruled in, that line probably moves to what Celtics like four and a half, five. Depends if the books think he's actually healthy. Like, I, yeah, those, you know, the chance always remains. He gives it six minutes and he's like, it just doesn't feel right. And they can't, they can't do it. Right. I would go under 24 and a half points for Embiid tonight. I think that's a safe play. Uh, you know, it, it's also, I mean, it's totally possible that, you know, he comes back and, and looks like himself, but I, I think there's, you know, for one, you know, these, these player props are basically 50, 50 anyway. And, and then if you're factoring in, say, a 10 to 20% chance that he doesn't look like himself or a 5 to 10% chance that he doesn't even make it through the game, at that point, I, I feel like it's it's at least a safer play to go under. It's a safer play to go under. My only, my only reservation would be that if you're the Celtics, obviously Embiid is hobbled here. Do you do everything yeah. you can to, like, try to have him be a scorer? You know, like play him one on one, play him straight yeah. up, basically try to make him do as much work as possible. And and try to do it on that knee. Yeah. I, I don't I don't yeah. dislike that strategy at all. We've seen teams kind of take that approach with Embiid in the past, right? I, I want to say it was just last playoffs. Um, you know, wh- wh- who did they face in the first round? I'm trying to bring it up. Toronto, um, and then and then Miami. I yeah, I, I feel like there's been there's been teams that have basically been like, all right, we're gonna let Joel get his 35 and 12, but if we if we limit Tyrese Maxey, if we limit James Harden, if we limit Tobias Harris to some degree, um, then we'll be fine. So, yeah, if I'm Boston, I would I would invite him. Like, hey, prove to us that that knee is healthy. Yeah, 100%. And so, I mean, again, I think I, I, I would also lean under on that player prop because, you know, again, the chance that he just is not able to complete the game, essentially. But um, I think I think if you're Boston, you want, you want him to do as much work as possible. So, um, We'll see. We'll see how both sides kind of <laughs> interpret what's going on with him. All right, I'm going to throw out some Finals MVP odds and just uh, you know kind of gauge some things here. Uh, would you rather bet Jokic at plus four seventy five, LeBron at seven to one, Curry at eight to one, or Anthony Davis at eleven to one? Uh, I think Jokic. Yeah, I think Jokic, Jokic, even with the shorter odds, um, with the Lakers, there's always a chance AD wins it. You never know. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I, I think I'm just most convinced that the Nuggets are going to the finals at this point. I still think, I mean, I still think there's a chance Phoenix pulls through here, but without Chris Paul for the next week. Um, yeah. That's, that's tough, man. That's really tough. Really, really tough. I mean, in terms of the odds, I'll just, you know, for one, if the Nuggets win the title, there's 0% chance that it's not Jokic. You know, I guess maybe you could make a case for Murray. He would have to have, like, multiple 40-point games. Because um, yes. it's like, you know, even when Murray goes goes off for, like, 42 with seven threes, then you look at Jokic, and it's like, oh, he had a quiet 31 and 17. It's like, I, I just don't see a world in which Jokic wouldn't win it um, if you think Denver's winning the finals. 
LeBron versus AD is suddenly really interesting because AD has very clearly been the better player so far in the playoffs. But I think if you're projecting out and saying, okay, if they, if they somehow make it all the way to the finals, you know, that means LeBron is playing really well. And obviously he's going to save his best for last. And there's, there's also just like pressure, I think, to give it to LeBron. I think he would get the uh, 38 year old father of three treatment. Uh, that would, that would probably push a lot of votes his way. Um, you know, obviously Curry, if, if you're still a believer in the Warriors at eight to one, there's some value there, but I'm with you. I, I think, I still think getting, getting Jokic at like five to one at this point is a pretty good bet, especially considering that they're now in a really, really good spot, not only to win the series, but I, I think Denver looking at both the Lakers and the, and the Warriors, I think Denver has to feel like, all right, if we can get past Phoenix, we could be looking at a, a pretty advantageous matchup in which we're maybe not super heavy favorites, but they will be favored. I think against either Golden State or the Lakers. And they could end up being like the most rested team. They should be the most oh, yeah. rested team out of whoever they whoever they end up playing. Um and I just think if you put the the way it looks right now, it, it looks like it's gonna be Nuggets, Celtics in the NBA finals. And yeah. I I would have more confidence in the Nuggets at this point. They've they have proven way more to me than than the Celtics have, who kind of came unraveled a little bit towards the end of that Atlanta series and then dropped game one to Philly without yeah. uh, Embiid. The Nuggets have had like no concerns so far. I know they, they dropped one to Minnesota, but it was not, it, to me, it wasn't one of those like, what is going on here games. It was just kind of the, the classic one seed is a little bored first round game that you see like 75% of the time. Uh, whereas like, I mean, Boston, you know, has blown multiple games against Atlanta. Uh, they look terrible without Embiid in game one. Like they've, They've had some significant concerns, um, and I, I still think Boston is is the team that has the best chance to come out of the East, and all the odds would reflect that as well. But uh, you know, I, I I don't know if I would think the same if if Milwaukee was still sitting there as a potential opponent in the ECF, and I, I think I would think differently too if if this Embiid injury wasn't a part of the calculation. You know, if, if this was the Sixers at full strength and Boston lost Game One, I, I don't like I, I still feel so good about their chances just because I don't trust Embiid. But um, I don't know they they have not been convincing at all. No, no, they haven't been. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, well, especially what we saw like out of Horford just getting absolutely torched by Harden and the 76ers seeking, seeking out like Jalen Brown, Al Horford actions mm-hmm. was kind of telling and might be a hint of like, maybe the Celtics have some more weaknesses than, than we thought. Um, which I think something that's something Atlanta found as well, but like you mentioned it, yeah, that game, the game Nuggets dropped against uh, against the Timberwolves, kind of felt like they just they just got lazy, like on defense in the in the like the third and fourth quarter, and the game just got away from them. Yeah. Uh, but this happens to this happens to team all the time, uh, teams all the time. You know, like they just they drop one game. It's a five game series, but it, it really is a sweep essentially. Yeah. And they still had like three chances to win that game late, and just kind of yes. had some fluky things happen. So I don't I don't hold that against them at all. Uh, you brought up the Chris Paul thing. You know, I mean, that, that feels like that was just like really quiet news last night. They just snuck that in while all these other games were going on. Uh, I mean, it sounds like almost certainly he'll miss games three, four, and five. If there is a game five, this series could be over as soon as Sunday. That's when we get game four. Uh, terrible, terrible news for the Suns. Not necessarily because Chris Paul is, you know, you're now losing his nine and a half points and five and a half assists per game. But the drop off from Chris Paul to whoever else is absorbing those minutes is that that to me is, is where the concern comes in. Well, yeah, this team has no bench. That's what we've been, you know, that was kind of the the casualty of the of the Durant trade. It's what's kind of uh, hindered them uh, throughout these playoffs so far, in addition to just zero three-point shooting whatsoever. Um, and you lose Chris Paul, you lose the floor general. 
Um, you know, he hasn't done a great job in Jamal Murray, but you're just you're bringing in campaign who, you know, he's been injured a huge chunk of the year, has not looked good at the very minimal time he's he's playing in these playoffs. And even if you want to say, hey, look, okay, we'll play Devin Booker at point guard. We'll have him run all these actions. Well, then you need another wing out there. And then you're bringing out like a wing rotation of like Craig and a Kogi next to Durant and Aiden. And it's like that team is in. That's not like a cohesive team. I mean, Cameron Payne has been a disaster so far. I think he kind of attempted to have like a Cameron Payne game in game two, and that was shut down promptly. Uh, the, the solution now is, I guess, he just has to play like 25 minutes. You know, as you said, it's like, all right, do you do you reintroduce Landry Shamit into the rotation after he was kicked out of the rotation because he was so bad in game one? You know, do it, like the, the other options are basically like five guys who do the same thing. Okogie, yes. Craig, Damian Lee, Wainwright, Terrence Ross. All, all those guys are so redundant. None of those guys can really give you anything as a, as a creator. No, and yeah, I mean, it's... There's going to be probably an alarming amount of uh, Akogi, Craig, Wainwright minutes um, potentially yeah. in this series. And the, I mean, this is every every moment for DeAndre Ayton should be a big moment because he's part of a team that should be able to win the title. And he looked pretty bad in game one, was a little improved in game two. But these are the exact moments that like you have DeAndre Ayton for. It's like, hey, man, you're normally our fourth option. Now you're our third option. We got to run more actions with you you got to be better on both ends of the floor here. So I think a lot of focus should be on him as well. Like he's, he's got to step up. Uh, you mean DeAndre dominating? Yeah. He, he doesn't <laughs> need to step up. Uh, why we'll, we'll close on this. Why are the Suns three and a half point favorites on Friday? I know they're at home. I know they have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, but given everything we just talked about, I, I think with, with no Chris Paul, I, I'm surprised. I, I thought this would be, I, I could see Phoenix like minus one, one and a half, but I, I think this could be a pickup. Yeah, I think so too. I think, I don't know. Maybe the books just don't think Chris Paul's out there doing that much. But but, but to yeah, me, that's just that's not that doesn't make sense. Like I I don't know. I I still think he's like you need him out there to like he's just so valuable. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I would take I would take Nuggets uh, plus three and a half here. I guess Denver was not a great road team, but nobody really was this year. It's like Philly, Boston, and Milwaukee were pretty good on the road, and that's about it. I mean, Denver is 20 and 23, and that's like that's like the eighth-best road record in the NBA. So I, I don't know that I really hold that against them. I mean, if you're the Suns, like, what what is the game plan now? Like, is it, is it as simple as, like, all right, Booker, KD, like, we, we need, like, we might need 40-plus out of both of you? They needed that before, didn't they? Because Chris Paul's yeah. giving you, like, eight points. So I, I yeah, don't know. I and, think they well, and, and they have to outscore the Nuggets too. I mean, I, game two was was a really weird one. You know, like that that, that was what, it was like ninety seven eighty seven. Is that what the final was? Like that's just yeah. not how the series is going to go. No, I mean I, I, I don't know. I mean because I don't. It's weird because I mean Chris Paul was setting guys up and running pick and roll and stuff, but that was more so with Aiton, and then those actions kind of got Katie and and. Booker some looks, although I felt like KD was forcing threes the other night, banked in one of his two made threes out of his 12 attempts. Um, this is, I mean, this is, I, I, in addition to being a big DeAndre Ayton spot, this is a huge Monty Williams spot. Like, what are you going to draw up without Chris Paul out there? Yeah, it did feel like there was a, a little whiff of, oh, you want us to shoot more threes? All right, I'll shoot more threes from KD. And it, it did not go well. Uh, there was just a, a really weird offensive game for both teams. Like, neither team ever felt like they were in rhythm for more than like two minutes at a time. I I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think I game one was 
there was some hot shooting from the Nuggets, and I felt like the the Suns were making some obvious mistakes, and then both things kind of regressed at once. Like the Suns corrected what they did wrong, uh, and then the Nuggets shooting cooled off, and that resulted in just like a sloppy, low scoring game, which is not how the series like kind of projects out. All right, man. We'll wrap this thing up. Uh, like we said, we just have the one game on the slate tonight: Sixers Celtics. That is a 8 p.m. Eastern tip off. Uh, you can hear us on NBA Radio Channel 86. Uh, The rest of the week, including tonight, we'll be live at 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll be talking best bets for Sixers Celtics. Uh, We'll be joined by Noah Levick tonight. Looking forward to chatting with him. Uh, We got another one gamer on Thursday, tomorrow, uh, Lakers Warriors. You can catch us on NBA Radio previewing that. And then on Friday, uh, we'll be doing the gambling preview for game three between the Celtics and the Sixers, as well as game three between the Nuggets and the Suns.